Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our blood letters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host Christopher Crallen Allen. No, oh, we're back baby, we're back. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Ignorance. Oh man, that was beautiful. Sonic chocolate. That was. Oh. I mean, I I feel a deep sense of shame. <laughs> I do feel violated somehow, <laughs> and I don't know if it's by myself or you guys. I feel I feel orally violated with an A. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mate, I think you? after a couple of episodes, we're going to have that down to a fine T. I think. I think we're going to sound yeah. beautiful. Did you sound like you were going after Darren went, Kral? Because you went at the same time. If you look at this, look at the sound waves. They're like right above each other. No, I thought Darren' story of his life was a bit premature. Yeah. <laughs> if only there was a way that we could sequence them one after another after we've recorded. <laughs> well, there's not. So stop it. <laughs> I don't think we have the technology, Darren. I, I, I don't think <laughs> we don't have the pure. <laughs> we don't have the poor. Yeah. It's been a minute, hasn't it, guys? It has. Yeah. Listeners won't know that, obviously, because the release will continue to be as regular as it always has. But we have had mm. a little a hiatus. Yes, that's right. A sabbatical. Bit of time off. Bit of R and R. What have you been doing with your time off, Dar? I've been lying in my bed coughing up Irish butter. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> the old human churn. The old human churn. I was just regurgitating months old chunks of butter made from Bailey's. <laughs> Christmas last year finally caught up with you, did it? Were the chunks of butter related to the seven liters of Bailey's you drank in two weeks after your 50th birthday? I think you could draw a direct line. <laughs> a direct line of dairy products from my uh, I think I could produce a PowerPoint with a correlating graph to illustrate how directly related they are. Yeah. Don't know if you recall, but on the actual day at the party, I drank a litre and a half of Bailey's at the party. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone just ignoring you while you sat in the corner. Just just, just ignoring. Just shitting cheese the next day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i can't believe it's not a heart attack yeah. <laughs> no he always comes to parties with just his top on <laughs> <laughs> that's his thing you know yeah i full poo bear it at parties <laughs> <laughs> it's poodar poodar <laughs> and then i jam myself in a in, in some sort of a doorway or a window with my ass hanging out going oh bother Oh, bother. <laughs> Why does this always happen to me? And Vic is just standing next oh. to me going, you attention-seeking prick. That was how your very short political career ended, wasn't it? <laughs> and I was still Prime Minister for a day longer than Liz Truss. Hi-oh. hi to. Is that the first political joke on playing down the lore? That might be. It's no joke, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Crowley, uh, do you know what time it is? Is it time for the Herbert the Perfect Star WhatsApp recap? <laughs> Hello, Reichland. It's time for the WhatsApp recap. So, last episode, that cuddly know it all Darren started our journey on his favorite raceless faction, the undead. Mmm. He went on and on about vampires, their homeland, Sylvania, right next to the moon, where those delightful little halflings have a gay old time. (laughs) Jesus Christ, come on, there's only so hard I can get. (laughs) Nearly. Nearly. (laughs) 
Hey, Ben, you handsome son of a gun, can you tell us about those five vampire bloodlines, please? Um, there were five. One of them was the Strigoi. <laughs> and they were bloodlines. Who were the kind of monstery ones. And then there were, is the Von Karsteins one of the yep. bloodlines? Yeah, okay. That's right. so they were the one. Von Karsteins. <laughs> Go on. Uh, You're doing so well. <laughs> Keep going. You might just earn yourself a popsicle. <laughs> Listen, uh, if you get all five, Ben, you can come down to Uncle Touchy's naked basement. It'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> Uncle Touchy's naked basement. Sounds like a great. Mm. <laughs> he sounds like a great guy. Then there were, oh, the Necrarchs. Yeah. That's okay. right. Oh, can you give me a clue on the other two? Think of an enormous Capri Sun. <laughs> Stropedo? <laughs> yeah. A drink, drink, drinking dragons dry. Something there we to do go. With drinking That's dra- right. The blood dragons. <laughs> well done, Benny. The blood dragons. Wh- yeah, yeah. Oh, what was the fifth one? Give me another clue. Think Lamassu, but not quite Lamassu. Oh, the, the 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 Lamians. Yay! Well done, Benny. You just did yourself a popsicle. <laughs> Why don't you just go and put your hands deep into my pocket and grab yourself a nice cold hard popsicle? Mm. Oh dear. <laughs> And what's the story about the undead without the great necromancer himself, Nagash? <clears throat> this has really hurt my fucking voice. <laughs> you should suck on a popsicle, mate. <clears throat> I feel like it. <clears throat> a ruthless, evil, power-hungry son of a bitch, Nagash, the firstborn king of Camry, I'm not sure if that's correct or not, resented his younger brother's birthright to become the next in line to the throne. So. By interrogating some poor little dark elves and learning to wield necromantic magic, Nagash created the elixir of life, which prolonged his life. Over some centuries, Nagash built up his own force of followers and staged a coup against the current king and created the Black Pyramid and published nine books about himself. The nine books (laughs) of Nagash. Quite a busy guy, eh? (laughs) <laughs> Local factions rose up against the tyrannical Nagash and defeated him, or so they thought. Meanwhile, an ambitious young queen, Neferatum, got herself some copies of Nagash's books and managed to create her own elixir, but an elixir of blood. As she consumed more of the elixir, Neferatum and her followers slowly became vampirical. Horrified by what she was becoming, her own husband turned against her, Forcing. <clears throat> I can do this. I can do this. I can fucking do this. Okay. Her own husband turned against her. Forcing Neferatum and her nine cronies to scatter and start their own bloodlines, and so began the faction of vampires. Ooh. Yes. Yes, mate. Oh my God. That is what all of that is 100% stated. Well done, man. Oh, yeah, please. I'm not doing that for nothing. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I love the idea of Magash publishing nine books about himself. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like they, I'd love the meeting, you know, he goes to the publisher's office. He's like, clunk, just like whacks down nine massive tomes on the table. Yeah. He's like, what's so, this? Uh, it's me. <laughs> little story about my life. It's all one draft. There's no editing done whatsoever. Yeah, it's just a stream of consciousness. So. Yeah. <laughs> His publisher's yeah. like, could you have just like consolidated this into maybe, you know, two, maybe three books? No, no, no. Yeah. Give the people what they want. More Nagash. It's like a Hunter S. Thompson thing. You know, my, my original title was Fear and Loathing in Camry. <laughs> the publisher comes back after a couple of weeks of reading it's like yeah it seems it's good but volume seven when you took a year out seems a little wishy-washy can we yeah. can we maybe remove that one i mean you mentioned a lot of things here like skaven i mean is this fantasy <laughs> they don't really exist right by pedal rats nonsense <laughs> right well thanks for that crow oh don't thank me Thank Herbert the pervert. 
Oh, all, her. <laughs> all Herbie, baby. Thanks, Herb. Um, right, Dar, where where are we going? What are we doing? Oh, he's got his serious face on. By the way, his <laughs> serious face looks exactly the same as his laughy face. And his O face. Yeah, I'm still unwell. I look like a kind of what Santa would look like if he had been underwater for four days. <laughs> a waterboarded <laughs> Santa. That's dark. Yeah. Got some sort of festive bloat on. <laughs> That's a good thing to have coming into December, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we hand over to the perfectly spherical Santa. <laughs> <laughs> We left off last episode with the effective collapse and destruction of Nagash after the sole survivor of the the great kingdom, King Alcadizar, though kind of driven to madness by the year-long torture he suffered, was successful in slaying the great necromancer and effectively the undead world took pause. And now... We shall continue that story. This is a shit segue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then... (laughs) Listen, it's fine. We've had a month off. It's going to take us an episode or two to get into it. The listeners are absolutely fine with that. They're absolutely fine. No, see, I'm just too... I'm too happy to be doing this again. This is... I need to be miserable to get Nagash. um. Don't you worry, mate. I'm going to make that segue. (laughs) Chef's kiss good. So if we can imagine, King Alcadizar has been in a cell for a year, poked, prodded, tromboned, French-horned, probably bass-drummed, maybe glockenspiel as well. We're not entirely sure. Um, Even jaw-harped. <laughs> never on a first date. Um, he has a kind of committed erstwhile allies, only insofar as the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enema of my enema is my friend. <laughs> the enema of my anemone. Yeah. Could I get a? Could I get an anemone enema, please? <laughs> no, I want the whole thing, winkles and all. Yeah. <laughs> As we'll recall, the great ritual revived all of the dead of what became the land of the dead the great kind of pseudo-Egyptian kingdom in the south of Warhammer. The energy that was required was so all-encompassing that Nagash collapsed back onto his throne at the end of a kind of 24-hour Gregorian chanting session. Just swooned. fell back in. He swooned. He full Rita Hayworth into his, <laughs> into his throne. <laughs> Waking up briefly as his hand struck himself in the face. He then is kind of laid out. And while he's collapsed, the Skaven enact their plan. They free King Alcadizar. They shoved into his hand what's called the Fell Blade or the Death Blade, which was this sword made from the fusion of uh, Grommel, that dwarf mithril kind of metal, and warp stone. Nice. It was wrapped up with so many enchantments of death and control that the Council of Thirteen were actually able to control King Alcacelsar and guide him through Nagashazar, guide him through the tunnels, through the rooms, bathrooms, kitchens. <laughs> what else would it have had? Pantries, uh, the orangery, outhouses, <laughs> the gym uh, <laughs> that never gets used. That Use never it gets once used. last Christmas, and now you never use it. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what waste? Yeah, yeah. Did the Skaven forge the fell blade? Yes, they did. Yeah, they made it specifically to kill Nagash. Wow! So Alcazar comes into the throne room. It's deathly quiet. No pun intended. There is the great necromancer who is about the size of an ogre at this stage. He's uh, pretty hefty, swollen with magic, engorged, one might even say, and uh, just kind of draped over his throne. Very carefully and quietly, Alcadizar approaches the throne. You've got to imagine there's this shadowy ring of Skaven assassins surrounding Alcadizar keeping the dead at bay, protecting their kind of vessel, their living weapon, 
as it goes to confront their great enemy, Nagash. Arriving at the foot of the throne, Alcadazar is overcome with rage because his entire people have been killed with the Great Plague and then revivified as undead. So he's the last surviving son of an entire country. So raising the sword above his head, he sweeps it down directly at Nagash. And there's some sixth sense in Nagash, even though he's comatose, that his arm raises up to ward off the blow and the fell blade severs through his hand, or severs through his wrist. Schnip. And the hand falls to the floor. And then much like, is it the thing in one of those, is it the Adams family? It scuttles oh, yeah, off. Yeah. yeah. Nice sound effect, Dar. With this kind of jarring idea that, that Nagash might come to life, it drives Alcadazar into a frenzy and he butchers the great necromancer into tens of pieces, let's say. Um, a baker's dozen. A baker's dozen. <laughs> of, of stuff, yeah. <laughs> a necromancer's dozen. <laughs> a necromancer's dozen. <laughs> uh, you said that he was as big as an ogre by this point. Yeah. So he'd kind of like grown with magic. What, you wouldn't what say it to his is... face though, would you? You wouldn't say that he's big as a fucking ogre. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you imagine him rocking up so. at Weight Watchers. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, Nagash, that gym I passed through was covered in dust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Dust. Exactly. High in fat, low in fat. Dust. <laughs> um, in the pictures of Nagash, and I don't know if these the ones I've seen are Age of Sigmar, but he was always portrayed ske- like skeletal. Is he yeah. still human form at this point? Like, what is it that Alka-Seltzer is chopping into when he's attacking him? Really, at this stage, Nagash is kind of a very tall lich king. Right. So he he is effectively skeletal. He still has skin, but it's like really kind of leathered parchment. And right. He's got his kind of arcane armor, all his jewelry. He's a big fan it's of bling. whatever the Warhammer equivalent of QVC is. So he has, <laughs> you know, he's a very tall mummy, like without the bandages. Right. Okay. Okay. Effectively. Cool. Having kind of emotionally spent himself all over Nagash with his sword, um, <laughs> King, King Alcadazar loses himself to madness, but he snatches up some of the belongings of Nagash and kind of heads out through the door. Yoink! Um, Takes his sneakers. <laughs> yeah, I'm having those. <laughs> Nike Air Ones? Nagashi. What a great brand. Nagashi Das. No, wait a minute. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> just diet. Yeah. Just diet, yeah. So Alcadazar, consumed by madness, and still unable to let go of the magical fell blade, staggers out of Nagashazar, the great fortress. The Skaven really are kind of done with him, but they don't want to approach him because he still has the fell blade, which literally will kill you on an existential level if it stabs you. With moments of clarity, Alcadazar realizes that the fell blade is actually killing him. It's powered by his life force in addition to warp stone and the enchantments so in a crevasse outside of nagash's arc he hurls the fell blade into its depths and staggers off into the world's edge mountains he, he kind of trudges that'd be a great word for what he does trudges for about a hundred miles just through mountain passes and pastures really a very long death march uh, he's mm. on the way out uh, so even though he's thrown the sword away, is he still dying from it? He's still dying from it, but also the complete ennui of being the last survivor of a civilization. Right, um, right, right. He's given up, really. He was pretty um, blue. Right. Yeah, and did in fact turn blue because he collapsed at the bank of the Blind River in the World's Edge Mountains, and it was so high up that he froze. So he did in fact turn blue. and was washed down through the Blind River, down into the Badlands, down into almost the the heart of the Badlands, into the kind of outskirts of what became the Marsh of Madness. And there he, there he existed. There he just lay, strewn on the ground. Now, we historically have said he was face down, ass up. 
in the in the marshes uh, with a bicycle parked between with a bicycle but yeah <laughs> but i think it's, it's more the boromir you know lying in a boat with his horn cut in two that's not a euphemism <laughs> and um it was more noble than we than we were portraying him wasn't it, it was yes more, it is more yeah, noble yeah 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 right and so for a year he just lay undisturbed until it was eventually discovered by a young sorcerer by the name of Cadon, who, seeing this kind of vision of nobility frozen, a kind of kingsicle, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm, you want a kingsicle? Cadon <laughs> <laughs> uh, and his followers build like a, a barrow. Not a wheelbarrow, Ben, as we discovered last uh, <laughs> oh, right. last yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah. An actual barrow. I know what one of them is now. Yep. One might even go so far as to say a large cairn. Look <laughs> it up. I don't. I don't have time to explain it. But in the process of thawing out the king, building the the barrow for him, Cadon kind of retrieves one of the treasures. Retrieves what will become eventually known as the crown of sorcery. If you'll remember, which orc warlord was it that got the crown of sorcery? Azag. Azag. Yes. Oh, I wasn't going to oh. say Grimgor. <laughs> I'm, I'm gutted you didn't. I'm gutted you didn't. Because that would yeah, Ben. Lucky mine. guess, pal. Lucky guess. It's the only orc name that came to mind at that moment in time, wasn't it? Azag. And in fact, it was actually a cough. Azag. Yeah, well done. <laughs> a lucky cough. As listeners will hopefully recall, unless this is your first episode, in which case you're very welcome. Um, the, where have you been all this time? We've been waiting yeah, for you. Yeah, where have you been? Hang on. Uh, the Crown of Sorcery contains a large portion of uh, Nagash's soul. So his, mm. his spirit is tied in very real way to this not at all Lord of the Rings style analogy. Nope. Didn't make nope. that. There's, there's no, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, yeah. no, 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 no. Just, no. yeah, move no, on. No, no, move no, on. No, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. No, no, yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so he puts the crown on his head. As one does. As one does. And is instantly assailed by the spirit of Nagash, who kind of throws visions of power and kingship and influence and saying, look, you're maybe not as good as you could be, but with my help, zombies. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> huh? Zombie, huh? zombie, 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 zombie. <laughs> I tell you what, there's nothing gets me more excited than a Northern Irish woman covered in gold. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's a zombie choir that could do... A zombie, a cranberry. I think I, f- I feel like there's one coming, Ben. Is that what you sound like coming? Could, what could be? <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be done. It could be done pub style. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, listeners, I know you can't see the two lads as they're doing their lounge singing thing, but it really does make me want to self harm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) these visions continue to harass Cadon like a rose seller at some sort of open air restaurant (laughs) (laughs) yeah that wasn't as funny as I thought it would be Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's quite gentle really is that those rose sellers are not fucking gentle (laughs) (laughs) buy my fucking rose they're as prickly as the products they sell I have a question. Why was Cadon building the barrow? You said he was a sorcerer. Was he? Did he have some sort of kind of? Are we going to say nefarious plan? Like, did he have an evil plan? Was he an evil sorcerer? Firstly, did he have a plan that was related to his sorcery, or was he just building a barrow because he saw this guy that looked noble? Was it a good deed? Great question. What we have to consider is that the Badlands at that time was awash with tribes of humans. Now, this is a thousand, what, almost 1,200 years before Sigmar, BS. Uh, So there's no overarching kind of uh, unifying empire of man. 
right. it's lots of tribes, some led by warlords, some led by shaman or sorcerers. Gotcha. But they all recognize power when they see it. Okay. So as a sorcerer, he would have seen it as a, a kind of an omen that he came across, you know, an Iceland ready king just lying in the marsh. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it held a crown of power. So it was, you know, a symbol. He found the body. The body was almost effectively presenting him the crown. I like to think of it, if we go back to our version of it, that it was face down, ass up, with the crown perched on his buttocks. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this crown is for you. Um, and the first thing he thought was, let's put that on my head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so he just went in head first. <laughs> He's like, sir, you're wearing that crown wrong. Let me show you how to wear a crown. <laughs> so, yeah, these were, how would you describe them? They would have been equivalent to the kind of early Celts of Britain right. and perhaps the various Goth and Hun tribes across Europe. So we would consider them barbaric. So, yeah, the visions that Caron receives eventually kind of win him over and he builds a city on top of the barrel. Well. Not directly on top, more kind of around, because that would have been a very small city. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and following the advice uh, and guidance of the kind of spirit in the crown, the kingdom takes on the name of the city, which is interesting because it has two names. The first one, it's first mentioned in the lore as Morgheim, which is kind of city of the dead, uh, mm. but that was revised in later editions as Morcain which means the place of death. You know, cheerful. Mm. Um, you've, you've mentioned Morgheim before, right? I've uh, mentioned Mordheim before. I was going to say, is, did I mishear yeah. you last time? Because I thought it was Mordheim. Yeah, no, they're two different places, yeah. Nah, um, nah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So eventually they, they start, if you'll recall where the Badlands are, you've got the Kingdom of the Dead below them, and then the border princes above them, and then beyond the border princes, the empire. So Cadon and the kingdom of Morkain starts to unify, to conquer all the neighboring tribes and spreads out, covering almost two-thirds of the Badlands, but doing so with undead allies, because Cadon and some of his kind of uh, acolytes become necromancers, because the crown through the visions of the crown and the whispers and asking it for help it's kind of like a really kind of bad alexa uh, <laughs> he starts to recreate the books of nagash um, um. so he's able to get down necromantic lore uh, and spells and he's able to shore up his power base but also raise the dead so there's constant construction around Morkane, the city, as well as the kind of wider expanded kingdom. But it's all done by zombies and skeletons. Um, mm. And thus, the wind of Dar is attracted to that area more and more often. And so the great kind of corrupting power of chaos begins to, well, corrupt the area that the uh, that the king the kingdom is in <laughs> sharp no it doesn't it doesn't does it um, so everywhere becomes kind of swampy and kind of um, moist deathy kind of undeady? going along oh, no, yeah undeady uh, dark magicy dark magicy dark magicy and then it becomes the d word and then it's uh, dicky uh, everyone becomes Danny a dies bit, uh, dark Magic. <laughs> <laughs> but as this is happening, the, the the kingdom expands. There's no kind of detail of the elixir, either the elixir of life or the elixir of blood. So there's no way for Caron to extend his lifespan. So while he's trying to work out ways to do this, he receives an unexpected visitor. In the, Are you yawning at my story? <laughs> no, I was just yawning. <laughs> Don't Not flatter yourself, story. Darren. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he receives an unexpected visitor in the form of the hand of Nagash. Shut up. Which was drawn. It Did it knock scuffled. at the door? 
It it leapt from a nearby rock, knocked on the door, and collapsed on the ground. <laughs> like a tired turtle. Like a dead spider. It had been drawn to the crown of sorcery because that that was the only kind of existing piece of Nagash's soul that well that still existed. Um, kind of like find my iPhone feature on your iPhone. I do that a lot. I use yeah. my ear pods and things like that. You just go find my thing. And just like yep. set out like a little <laughs> GPS thing. Find my severed hand and find <laughs> my <laughs> crown of sorcery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, I tell you what. If a fucking hand knocked on my door. I opened the door to that. I would the first thing I'd do was boot it into the next fucking town. Like just a severed hand. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Did Cadon not freak out? Did he not be like, what the fuck? A self-aware hand. But I think he would have if he hadn't been wearing the crown. Uh, right, okay. But so the crown and thus Cadon instantly recognized the hand of Nagash. Ah, hand. Um, yeah. Where have you been I, I, all this time? I, I and then all of a sudden, Cadon was like the third wheel in the relay. It got really awkward. Like the crown and the hand were no. like, hey, man. Uh, oh, yeah. This no, no, is just Cadon. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> there's, a jo- there's a joke here to be made about some sort of necromantic fleshlight, but we'll draw a veil. From best selling novelist Nagash, author of The Merkin Conflict, The Macaroni Withdrawal, and The Armadillo Enchantment, comes the brand new epic you've been waiting for The Nine Books of Nagash. I wrote another trilogy of trilogies. Prepare your souls. He had you on the edge of your seat with The Halibut Proposal, The Banana Investment and the Gargoyle Cadillac. He'll blow you over the edge with the Nine Books of Nagash. How's that soul prep coming along? The Sagittarius Oblivion, the Oboe Constriction, the Badger Metric. And now, Nagash has coalesced his most genius work to date. The Tomb King said it couldn't be done. The acclaimed visionary behind the Cauliflower Shenanigan, the Dictionary Punishment, and Confessions of a Hurdy Gerdist. And now, the nine books of Nagash. Rework my elixirs at your peril. And this coming April, get ready for the Anonymous Ragamuffin, the Granny Index, the Ladybird Punishment, and Titterschmicker Whippersnapper. All from visionary author Nagash. The nine books of Nagash. My publisher said it could be done in three, so I ate his soul. Available everywhere now by Black Pyramid Publishing. So he takes the hand into, well, the city, and him and his acolytes preserve it. They wrap it in kind of magically enhanced bandages. Maybe there's some sort of ibuprofen cream they put on it, on the stump. (laughs) Some topical Uh, lotion. Topical lotion, exactly. And so this hand then is used to it's 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 effectively nailed to the top of Cadon's staff. I don't think it's nailed through. I think it has a little kind of a hanger on it, a, p- um, a perch, which is put on a perch, a little swing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's how Cadon greets people. He just raises the staff with the hand on it and goes, "Hello." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He made it a little jacket. Well, a glove. A glove. I've now turned Cadon into Timmy Mallet in my head. (laughs) (laughs) But still, the extra power that the hand gives Cadon, it can't stop the aging process. So we're now looking at around about 100 years later, 120 years since the discovery of the body of Alka-Seltzer. The crown realizes that Cadon is dying. There's nothing that can be done to keep him going because that bit of information isn't in the crown that part of the spirit doesn't hold the information about the various elixirs that it can make so it kind Uh of psychic psychically calls out to see if there's any powerful necromancer or demonologist or some practitioner of the dark arts uh, or some necrotic yodel yodel <laughs> and there's just in the distance you hear this response from another necromancer. Yeah. That's the way I picture it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what would Herbert sound like, you would like? Something like this. Yodely. 
<laughs> pretty much exactly how that I did. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> You, you can't. The problem is you can't project Herbert's voice very powerfully. It's it's a, it's a soft voice. So was the only thing. So how old was Cadorn by this point? Uh, it must have been in his one fifties. Yeah. And it, and was he just being? Is that extended life just due to the fact he's wearing the crown? Or yeah, there was some longevity that was able to be penetrated into his body to keep uh. him alive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so th- that is a, a long time for a person to live in the I'll, uh, I'll so-called marshes of madness. So he yodels. He yodels. And someone responds. There is a, a being arrives at Morkane who is drawn by the kind of call, the demonic, necromantic yodel of the crown of sorcery. <laughs> uh, you yodeled? Who comes in and in one night, wipes out Cadon and most of his acolytes and assumes control of the city. And this being was one of the original 10 vampires. It's the vampire known as Usharan. So, can I just clarify? Yeah. So the crown saw that Cadon was basically a lost cause, like there we, we cannot extend his life, and it was in the crown's interest to make the bearer of the crown, be it Cadon or whoever, to have a long life in order for the soul of Nagash and Nagash to materialize again. So yes. the crown was like, okay, we've tried everything. We've exhausted all options here. Cadon is dead. He ain't going to live for long. Let's get someone else. He, he's basically outlived his, his usefulness to the crown. So the crown yodeled for another worthy undead soul to carry on the whatever mission was needed. Cadon was, was spent. He was expendable yeah. at the end of it. Was that the idea? Yeah, okay, okay. But it was he wasn't necessarily calling out for another undead soul, was he? Because Cadon wasn't undead. Just power, yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. who who the crown could enhance. Right. So they had to have some sort of basic understanding of magic or be a powerful member of the undead or 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 uh, right. so that they right, could right, right. Um, like a snotling rocking up wouldn't be of much use to the crown of sorcery. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't think you're able to control someone while they're hula hooping you around their waist. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> so it's a bit of a, a bit, a bit of a necromantic tart, the crown, isn't it? Really, it's just like yeah. you're not, you're not got, you're not powerful enough for me. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Cadon. <laughs> it was nice, but yeah, don't don't yeah. bother calling. So the being that arrives at the the being that conquers uh, Morcane was one of the first original vampires, Usharan, who was, in fact, the younger brother of Neferatum, kind of the the vampire queen of Lamia, who was, at this stage, obviously cursed by the same dude that's calling him from the crown. Yes. Well, they all were. They all were. I mean, what you have to understand, this is like, we're, we're coming up on 700, 800 years since Nagash was actually killed. Right. Uh, and so most of the vampires, almost all of the vampires, in fact, are still in hiding. Right. Because they're okay. terrified that Nagash is going to come back and exert his control over them. Now, right. the, that control kind of is manifested through, and it'll be interesting to see your take on this original concept, through a magic ring that one of the <laughs> vampires has. Excellent. One of the nine vampires has. But we'll, we'll hmm. continue on. And we'll <laughs> cover both that vampire and his magical ring later. Um, <laughs> Usharan really is the kind of patriarch of the Strigoi bloodline. So the kingdom of Strigoi is founded in Morkane. Uh, Strigoi land. Strigoi land. And, and, you know, and lasts for the bones of 800 years as this kind of vampiric kingdom, a kind of Lamia light, if you will. Um, So they're still viewed as aristocracy. They kind of have this kind of condescending rule of mere mortals, but they're effectively just farming the populace. And I was going to say beating off the greenskins, but beating back the greenskins so that the, the kind of human population can live in peace. Mr. Chris. You were talking about the early Strigoi were pompous and arrogant. Was you, or, or did I mishear that? You were saying uh, uh, Ush- Usharan 
was Ushran, the, yeah. was one of the was like the alpha strigoi the 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 original yes, strigoi yeah. kicked off the strigoi yeah. and then you started to get explaining that they were like pompous and um and, well they're the and, and yeah. raw but that's not like strigoi strigoi are bestial right yes strigoi are bestial but you have to remember that the uh later generations of strigoi were truly bestial Ushran uh, oh, right. Ushran okay. was a you know effectively a king in waiting, so right, okay. he had all the education and the entitlement that goes with that kind of idea. Gotcha. Okay. So while this kind of kingdom is evolving and kind of conquering the badlands and the mountains around it, there is another Strigoi who makes his way into uh, Nagashazar, and over uh, a couple of decades of just he goes into Nagashazar. Yeah, Nagashazar, the Nagash's uh, Baradur, effectively. What's been happening there this whole time? Because that was that just abandoned after he was killed? It was abandoned. It was taken over by the Skaven, uh, ah, who okay. then were ousted, or a good portion of them were ousted by a goblin tribe. And so once this Strigoi comes into Nagashazar and begins to unite the tribes of kind of crypt ghouls or ghouls as they're more usually referred to, which are not undead, but bound so tightly to Nagash's will that they are considered part of the dead. When Nagash originally constructed Nagash's art, it was through the use of obviously zombies and skeletons to be able to just ceaselessly work, but he corrupted all of the local tribes of humans turning them through kind of what's referred to as the dark feast where they became cannibalistic and they became this kind of mortal version of the Strigoi, this kind of bestial devolved human and there were tribes of them. So this Strigoi, who's known as Vorag Bloody Tooth, took over the ghoul tribes of Nagashazar and overruns the goblin tribes that are kind of facing him. He doesn't really want to take over Nagashazar because there's a, a strong sense that it's a place of utter destruction and evil for anyone that goes in there. Bad juju. Yeah, bad juju. And so he takes his ghouls and the survivors of the Red Cloud goblins and they build this massive fortress on the east of the World's Edge Mountains. Remember, the listeners will recall, it's the mountain range that bisects the world north to south. So he goes into the Darklands, effectively, and builds the Fortress of Vorag. It's not, they're not, the name conventions for vampires aren't really that great. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's straight. The, the naming conventions in general in the world of Warhammer are pretty, you know what I mean? You, you know where you stand with them. The Crown of Nagash. What is it and who does it belong to? There you go. The ass pillow of Alcadazar. What is it, and <laughs> who does it belong to? It, 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 it kind of it kind of removes any need for any sort of lost and found departments, doesn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> the moment that it's found, it's just given back to really. <laughs> so, uh, um, Vorag expands his power base out from the fortress of Vorag, which is uh, on the plain of bones, which is the kind of lower segment of the Darklands, and so builds this great. Strigoi, bestial Strigoi Empire. And it's a good juxtaposition between the kind of almost feral vampire kingdom on one side of the World's Edge Mountains and this kind of aristocratic, academic kingdom of Strigoi on the other side. So it's a good comparison there. Ultimately, Vorag dies while besieging the, the goblin layer of Grey Hag. He is I've used penetrated too much. He is pierced by a massive bolt from a goblin bolt thrower, basically just harpooned and stuck to a wall. Um, kebabbed, yeah. Kebabbed, that's a great thing. Absolutely yeah. kebabbed. <laughs> <laughs> the kebabbing of who? <laughs> What's his name? Um, Their name? I want to make. I, I'm trying to think of a way to steer it towards fondue, but I can't. It's, it's, it's too. <laughs> save it. Save um, the fondue. Doesn't kebabbing save have the... to be done lengthwise? Maybe it was. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a really unfortunate moment when. Oh, I've dropped my sword. <laughs> 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 
And you thought Alka-Seltzer died in a uh, no, big way. I was just about to say, maybe he was telling one of his mates, God, no, no. And then he died and he was frozen. But he went into this marsh and I'll show you how he ended up. Wait a minute. And then, boom! <laughs> 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 So now uh, the the fortress of Vorag still exists, but it's a kind of benighted and abandoned place in the dark lands. It's it occupied every now and then, but there is, as as Chris said, bad juju about the whole bad uh, environment. The yeah, abandoning of the fortress of Vorag. I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna like present everything like that now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the kebabbing of this guy. <laughs> so it's a few hundred years after that that Neferata raises her stunningly beautiful head and re-enters the kind of historic record. That was, that was very L'Oreal, Chris, wasn't it? Yeah. I just need a, a fan blowing my hair. Just my hairs. <laughs> yeah. you, you also need some <laughs> hair. <laughs> so at about, um, about 330 years BS... Neferata, in a single night, takes over the dwarven uh, city of Silver Pinnacle. Mm. Um, it is the, the Pinnacle is part of a larger chain of mines that are renowned for their precious stones and the kind of openness and plentifulness of their, are these words, of their, of their <laughs> ores, of their gems, ores, and whores, which... <laughs> But in a single night, if you can imagine, I've forgotten the name of the computer game. It's it's one of these zombie ones. It, it's where you're a guy, you're a biker, and zombies run at you Days in gone. kind of a chain. Days gone. There we go. If you can imagine that with maybe a few hundred thousand zombies just pushing down constantly through the uh, tunnels and rooms of a dwarven city. Ah, right, they yeah, just yeah. press. It's effectively they don't fight; they just orange juice the dwarves out of the uh, out of the, <laughs> the um, toothpasting of silver pinnacle, the, <laughs> the spiralizing of the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, I think the dwarves were extruded into some sort of dwarf paste at the very <laughs> yeah. bottom level. Of dwarf cor- dwarf courgette. <laughs> Dwarf shit. Dwarf shit. Neferata then spends a few decades beautifying the the zombie stank shithole that is the Silver Pinnacle and turning it into a reflection of Lamia. So if you can imagine a mixture of kind of dwarven infrastructure recarved to look like Egyptian architecture. Oh, yeah. wow. So Lots of uh, the appropriate looking temples, lots of obelisks. That's really the two sphinxes, maybe. <laughs> uh, what, else, what else does Egypt have? Small pyramids, big pyramids, lots of tourist shops. Sand. Uh, sand. <laughs> <laughs> so the silver pinnacle then becomes Neferata's kind of power base in perpetuity. She still exists there to this day, some 2,800. Uh, years later and that's where the great kind of councils of Lamian vampires is held and if listeners will recall Lamian vampires are about 98% female so it's a matriarchy is that the correct term um, mm-hmm. of, of vampires and it's the center of the web in which Neferatum kind of covers the old world and the world around her with information gather- right. or information gathering kind of agents and has been puppeteering human politics ever since. Has she been doing that under the influence of Nagash, or was that all Neferatum? You know how Neferatum was being subconsciously controlled by Nagash through the elixir exactly that she created? Exactly right, yeah. Was yeah. Her, was, she was in control of a lot of her actions. She wasn't just completely uh, possessed by Nagash. It was one of these things where you think the ideas that you have are your own ideas. They may not be. Inception. It was implanted Got it. by Got Nagash, it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing to bear in mind is we're, we're now looking at, what, a thousand years since Nagash was killed and when he was killed by uh, Alka-Seltzer. 
Uh, he was not only chopped up to bits by the fell blade, which kind of demolished his corporeal form and effectively... Which really ruined his day, yeah. Yeah, would, which, which ruptured his soul, except for the bit that was stuck in the crown. When Alcadizar kind of stumbled out of the throne room, all of the Skaven assassins that were protecting Alka-Seltzer ran in and absolutely diced up Nagash's remains into millions and millions of pieces, and then scooped up all those pieces and hoofed them into a warp fire furnace, which effectively transmuted every molecule in his body to a speck of ash. So you had this kind of pollution, this necromantic pollution, cloud of Nagash. Whose cloud is it and what is it? Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The great cloud of Nagash. (laughs) (laughs) So at that moment, the vampires were effectively freed from his control. Um, Uh So there was no kind of active bit of Nagash that was able to exert power over his minions to that extent. There was the chunk of him in the crown, but that could only really call others to it, it, and you had to put it on to be able to get the benefit, like a coat in school. His love language was physical touch, is basically what you're saying. I, I really didn't like the way that that paired up with Kral sticking his finger up. <laughs> Go ahead, Kral. Put, put your finger down, Kral. Um, was Alcadazar, did he ever wear the crown when he was doing his death march, or did he just keep it on his person? And if he wore it, would he then not have become ironically possessed by Nagash as well? Or did he just not wear it? Uh, the honest answer is I don't know. I can draw kind of logical inferences. The, the most obvious one is he kept the crown as a trophy, uh, but yeah. didn't know why. So maybe yeah, it sure. called to him, but he was so mad at that stage anyway. Mad as a bag of dicks. Yeah, there would have been. And, and that's pretty mad. That's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you see where I'm going with that, though? Like, because the crown possesses you. So I, I would have assumed that Alcadazar, when he scooped up the crown, amongst other things, he didn't wear it. He just kept it on his person. Otherwise, if he wore yeah. it, it would have possessed him. And he just, all sorts I mean, of he walked. Stuff would have he traveled. He traveled a hundred miles, Chris. He needed to sit mm-hmm. down somewhere, so he brought the crown as a seat. And that's why, when he eventually died face first in the bog in the marshes, with his arson there. Mm-hmm. That's why the crown was there, because it was stuck on his ass. Mm. Like a piles cushion, you know, like the donut cushion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you yeah. Don't have to, yeah. You, your hemorrhoids don't have to touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, with all this mockery, no wonder vampires are pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're serious. Um, to round out the answer to your question, Chris, I think that regardless of whether he wore it or not, the crown seems to need to be able to have some kind of persuasive consenting kind of arrangement with Mm. whoever's wearing it and he was so far gone at that stage he'd not only been tortured for a year by you know the master of death but also he was shored up in the worst forms by the council of 13 yeah the crown would have been like whoa this is he's got baggage no yeah (laughs) I think to some degree the crown kind of manipulates ambition because it sounds like Cadon and Azag both had that in common. They were kind of ambitious in their kind of plans for development and whatnot. And it sounds like he kind of then, or he, the soul in the crown, kind of manipulated that. Well, it wants to create a kingdom of the dead. I mean, right. th- that was the thing that was in the forefront of whatever remained of Nagash's physical brain when Alka-Seltzer chopped him up. So right. that would be the driving motivation to get to an area where they would be able to build a kingdom of the dead. And so given the kind of countryside and nature of the Badlands, that was the most effective place of that time. Once you find, you know, a naked dead guy's crown, I mean, why wouldn't you put it on your head? <laughs> It's the first thing I'd do. Which leads us neatly back to Morcane. So Usharan, we're now... Usharan's been there for about 400 years, ruling Morcane, which has kind of turned into this metropolis of the dead. So it's a, a kind of faded mirror of the great cities of Nehekara. 
So you're looking at Lamia, Khemri, those kinds of things. Think of kind of Karnak at its height in Egypt or, you know, mm. Cairo at its height, Memphis at its height. You're looking at that kind of thing, albeit with a layer of wet dead, I think is how we've described them in the past. The wet dead who used necromantic magic or they do the rituals and chants? Uh, necromantic magic. Rituals, rituals and chants are dry dead. Yeah. Chris is nailing it. Come on, Ben. Buck your ideas up, for the love of God. I'm worried about you, Ben. Chris is embarrassing you. Mate, um, I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, wait, I got a sag. You coughed. You had a fortunate cough. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you swine. So Usharan is, if you'll excuse the phrase, he's cock of the walk. He's just, he's living life large. <laughs> ruling with a, an iron-clawed fist, but also has done this to feel safe and secure. He's comfortable in the fact that he doesn't have to worry about really anything now. If Nagash returns, he has a kingdom to rival Nagash's are. He has uh, enough troops to be able to face off against any opponent. And so he sends out emissaries to all the other vampires that he can he can find including his sister neferata as we've mentioned briefly usharan is in fact the younger brother of neferata and neferata hates his guts can't stand them because of an incident that happened at the very kind of start of the the vampiric uh, bloodlines so one of the things that neferata was interested in is not just the powers of vampirism and the longevity and the magic use and the capacity to trombone someone at will. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. also the exclusivity of being a vampire. Mm-hmm. She got to decide who was a vampire and who was not. And it was very much tied to her kind of needs of the time. So, for instance, she was the queen of Lamia. She, working with Warsren, got the elixir of blood and became a vampire, as did, obviously, Wasserman. But she needed protection. So she got the captain of her guard. She brought him into the fold, and that was Abarash, who became the leader of the blood dragons eventually. And he was in love with Neferata, or Neferatum, as she was at that stage. And so vigorously defended her at every stage and got all his troops and his city guard to defend her and enforce the kind of laws of Neferata. Now, to be able to write those laws and get them in, there were some other members of the kind of Lamian aristocracy that were brought into the fold that may have died or devolved since they fled after Nagash's return. So the first one was uh, Matt Messi's who was the judge. He was the kind of head judge of Lamia. The second then was Harakte, who was her kind of chief vizier, like Jaffa from Aladdin. Mm. Um, So she had created this very, very exclusive court of influential and powerful people that were transformed then into vampires so that she could continue to rule in perpetuity with these group of like-minded kind of entitled people a bunch of yes men it sounds like yeah well she did not want her younger brother she couldn't stand him from birth did not want him being in part of the vampiric crew did not consider him to have the kind of right character to be worthy and he was known as the kind of lord of masks which is that kind of play ceremonial role and kind of spy master so she did not trust him did not care for him. I mean, she was indifferent to him to the point where she couldn't even be bothered killing him, which would be the logical thing to do, obviously. But Usharan, not wanting to be left out, and more really to piss her, piss his sister off, broke into her quarters and stole the penultimate vial of the elixir of blood. And so he made himself a vampire using that elixir, without permission. She was enraged, but there was nothing she could do because if she moved to kill a vampire, 
then everyone else would stop having faith in her leadership and, and rule because, well, what was going to stop her from killing them? So Usharan sends out this call to all the vampires saying, you know, we have a safe place to live and rule. Come, you know, the city is ours. You can live here and we can rebuild our influence and rule. Um, and, you know, if you want Nef- to suck some blood. <laughs> I think that's mo- now more your catchphrase than it is. I was alley-ooping you there, Chris, but you just weren't thinking of a bait, were you, pal? <laughs> so Neferata, upon receiving his invitation, is incensed. She doesn't want vampires to live in the kind of public eye because they tried it and it failed. Their civilization turned against them and they had to flee Lamia and into the arms of Nagash. And they don't want to do that again. She doesn't want to put herself under the influence of Nagash ever again, even tangentially. So what she does is she uses her influence and guile and other words that mean the same thing that allow her to to build up kind of human anger and human resistance against the kingdom of Morcane. So a lot of human tribes start to kind of bandy together to attack Morcane, to you know push their borders back. And while this is happening, and you know, and the forces are able to deal with these uh, tribes quite easily, but is distracting. So there's a constant distraction from human tribes. And while this is happening, Neferata influences a number of orc warlords, orc and goblin warlords, on the east side of the World's Edge Mountains to come in on the promise of there's great loot in this city. There is just this enormous wah comes washing over the World's Edge Mountains and slams into the kingdom of Morkane. Now, when that happens, Ushran and all his forces are off quelling kind of human rebellions around the the edges of his kingdom. So they race back, and there is the mother of all battles in this kind of grey, granite-blocked city of the dead where huge orcs are combating zombies and skeletons and kind of vampires and so forth. Um, So ultimately... Usharan, one of the very first vampires, or in fact the second to last of the first vampires, is slaughtered by an orc warlord called uh, Garsnag Cracktooth, and many of his vampire acolytes are put to the sword. The city is completely decimated, and only a few of the kind of vampire followers and their human slaves scatter. Eventually, devolving through the rite of the dark feast and contact with other ghoul tribes into crypt ghouls. And that's really where all form of intelligence beyond bestial hunting, predatory intelligence within the Stagroi disappears. They become completely feral over the next few hundred years. And so that's around about 200 years B.S., and really nothing else happens for another 160 years. It's very quiet because the vampires that have been in hiding remain in hiding. Morcane now is beginning to become just a memory, yet another act of folly by vampires trying to rule over humans in the open. So we're now around about uh, 50 to or 40 to 50 years before Sigmar, before the kind of the battle at Skyscraper Pass. Uh, slash wall pass and suddenly there is a kind of a sense of hopelessness washes over the world and literally over the entire world and a sense of despair kind of inhabits the souls of all the living and it lasts a mere moment but has a profound effect on every living being because it is at that exact moment that Nagash is reborn in the Black Pyramid of Kemri. He has reformed some 1,200 years after his death. And I think that's where we'll leave it for this month. Hot damn. Wow, what a dude. What a dude. Persistent little cuss, isn't he, old Nagash? Even death doesn't (laughs) stop him. He's definitely got a long-term view, hasn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. he's the little lich that could. <laughs> yeah, I can I can kind of see why he's so attracted. The storyline's very, very good. There's there's a lot of tendrils and And it's yeah, it's weaved through all of the other stories as well, isn't it? It all seems yeah. feels like yeah, Nagash's story is part of the main backbone of Warhammer, isn't it? It's the constant thread from beginning to end kind of thing. It's really the like him and Chaos Gods are the real constant threats to the kind of mortal inhabitants of the Warhammer world. So it makes sense that their stories, you know, weave into everyone else's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just Nagash's influence in terms of just the books of Nagash. I mean, they 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 go out into the world and are used to you know when found, if not used properly, it either drives someone mad or drives them towards the use of necromancy. And so they're the it's a constant seed, a constant threat, like a necromantic hangover that humanity has to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. Some of which is happenstance, some of which is guided, yeah. Mm. The the impression I'm building, the picture I'm building of the undead is most of the undead are pretty mindless, except for Nagash and the vampires. They're your main mm. kind of conscious, ambitious characters. Everything else is skeletons, ghouls, zombies, just like massive undead stuff. I mean, is, there is that are fair? It, vampires are really the only faction slash race which kind of have their own agenda, their own MMO. I think if you're just looking at like the vampire counts, so excluding all the guys from the Tomb Kings, Nagash and the vampires, absolutely, they all have their own wills. Great band, great band, great band. Nagash and the vampires. <laughs> Nagash and the vamps. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> right, shall I wrap up? Yeah. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind the scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you guys. You cover our costs and allow us to spend more time planning content and scripting those ridiculous adverts. Not to mention the moral support that we so desperately need. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore and sign up today. This will give you access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus series, Chunks of Dar, a bi-monthly informal deep dive into the topics discussed in the main podcast, in which Kral and I essentially interrogate Dar. You'll also gain access to our Discord server, which is pretty much Warhammer banner 24-7 with the three of us and our growing posse of lovely time wasters. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, churro! See you later! Go on, touch it.